Hello, and welcome back to the Arc of E Podcast. My name is Noah. And my name is Gavin. And we're the Blanchard Brothers, back once again, uh, coming up on a big anniversary. Yes. I guess that's a good way to kick things off. Uh, it's Friday, May the 1st. Right. It's going to be our three-year anniversary. Right. So, thank you for everybody who's who's been around, stuck with us this far, and uh, we, we look forward to, to the new season year of of the archive we're technically already in season four because i do the seasons by years but our anniversary is our anniversary yeah so the years by by anniversary the seasons by actual years yes right so the big announcement we've mentioned it here already uh is flashback fridays is going to be a thing going forward because we have now three years worth of podcasts scattered across all sorts of different feeds and we're trying to kind of consolidate as we go so those are going to stay up for a while but eventually we'll retire them but we're going to kick things off on our anniversary by flashing back to the podcast that started it all here carpenter revisited we're not going to the first episode no we're going to the thing yes uh, a favorite of ours an early favorite in the run yes it's still a little rough around the edges we are still finding our wings i feel like they live forward is where it gets really good because we where have they we live do? memoirs body bags we, we got did... vampires with the uh the where did the jump Blanchard. happen where did the jump happen when did we move from your <clears throat> old place back to west ashley i feel like remember in the mouth of madness was the one that we recorded multiple times right and i feel like that was the restart point okay i feel like we had everything else in the bag right beforehand because um, we did a we bunch we did vampires in the uh in the new studio right at that point yeah that was the second studio we've had four four. right and then if you count the old home studio b yeah yeah five six uh, yeah there's been a lot over Mm -hmm. the years i like this one it's pretty dope yeah this is my favorite setup it's a couch for sure the table a lot of movie posters yeah we should do more filming in here as well uh speaking of that guess what i have to tell you I bought a pair of HD recording glasses, record video and stuff. You can obviously but tell glasses I have a, record. The you, you can obviously tell I have a, like a camera on the lens of my the glass somewhere, but you know, might be something to toy around with one day. Just you know, hey, you could be one of us sitting here with the other one. Yeah, hearing this disembodied voice coming that. Mm-hmm. Trippy, like cool. like we give it we give it to me for a little bit as we do the intro, and then like as it's something I want to talk about, we give the glasses Put on to the you. Glasses. Put on, yeah. Put on, yeah. Okay, we could so, totally do that as an like a, a fun they live anniversary for thing. sure. We could do like a, a they live retrospective. I'm gonna try and uh, you know if we have things that where synergy exists and it happens to be a Friday that coincides with like an anniversary of a movie we've done, I'll try and do that. But it's going to be a little random at first. Mm-hmm. We'll hit a lot of Carpenter because that one is hidden behind the Patreon wall. So, uh, yeah, if you want to listen to the whole run outright, you can go donate there for as little as a dollar a month. You, yeah. you got access to all of that. Uh, and, yeah, we'll throw in some other random ones here and there. Some and of the, the Brothers Blanchard as well. They've done a lot the, of the, miniseries. The $10 feed gets your nudes, right? That's how they get those. Haven't haven't put that tier in okay. quite yet. Just making sure. I um, heard that's what that was coming to. That was know, the we haven't seen a huge increase in traffic, so maybe maybe I do need to spice it up. Yeah. We'll see what happens. <laughs> just a bland, uh, pale, I, skinny Noah. I'm just somebody who's who's anxious to get in here. Regular star of the network, uh, Mr. Fife Dog. Uh, I'm going to let him in. We'll see okay, let's see what happens, bro. Yeah, might as well. You know, hey, hey man, it's third year anniversary. He's the... Uh, 
the king of the three cats that you got going around here now, you know? What are the other two names again? The other two uh, would be Mr. Chess Rockwell uh-huh. and uh, Phoebe. Phoebe. Just Phoebe. Um, I've been okay. taken recently to calling her Phoebe Jean because I started singing Cheer Up Phoebe Jean instead of Sleepy Jean. <laughs> So okay, yeah, but she's named after Phoebe Buffay from Smelly Cat, Smelly Cat, the, the best friend's character of, of all course. time. Uh, yeah, and Chess Rockwell, that's John C. Riley and Boogie Nights for those okay. unfamiliar. Um, named as such because he has, uh, and and Fife is pissed off because he hears us talking about the other cats. You cannot walk on the laptop, buddy. Come on, you got to go somewhere else. Knock it off, man. Dude, go, go curl up next to Uncle Gavin or something, but you can't, you can't be up here. Yeah, really wish we had a camera going right now. I don't know if I'm allergic, but uh, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see it what happens. Hasn't bothered me Do yet. Do you behave yourself or am I have to kick you out? You yeah, man, the, we're letting you, know you in drill. here as like a, you you know, know a fun drill. thing. You want to play around in the closet? Yeah. All right. Oh, look at that. you're going to make a bunch of noise. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> this is the most professional episode in, yeah. in months. Yeah. Um, Great anniversary <laughs> lead-in, by the way. I appreciate that. For sure. Mm-hmm. He had to make an appearance. He heard we were, we were celebrating, so yeah. here we go. Okay, uh, what else is coming? We we already introduced a new segment. It's yes. going to be a regular thing here, 2 by 2 Retro Reviews. We've got another one for you today. That's yes. the main thing on the agenda. But mainly here at the top of the episode, while we are discussing the anniversary, I just want to send a big thank you to all of our listeners, everybody who's ever checked out an episode or told a friend about it, anybody who's rated and reviewed us on iTunes and helped us get one step closer to our, our Rotten Tomatoes-approved uh outlet goal uh you can still do that go over to your podcast app on your on your apple device what's that you got one one more person you better shout out what i <laughs> i i can't read your what oh i'm getting yeah okay <laughs> just Thanks. you know you can chime in you know anytime no, i too. like doing the air quote the air like the air charade i thing. want to thank all of our listeners i'm getting around to it okay. i want to thank our staff most yeah. importantly, uh, Mr. Sunshine Mayfield, who's been with us since the beginning. He was always on board. He's pushed me to do more stuff. Um, it, he's been a, a great addition. In you guys had that knife fight to get him to have his own show about <laughs> Bending Not Breaking. Exactly. Bending yeah. Not Breaking has taken off. It's been a huge success. It's coming to Netflix soon, so that's wow. going to be a whole other thing. Uh, Mr. Ben Pruitt, who Alex introduced me to. Uh, has his own show that we support here on the network and we release for them called the vespers project which is huge in its own right uh go check that out it's available on all the regular platforms as well um the brothers blanchard of course you haven't heard from them in a bit but they're still around yeah Uh, we're gonna get them on mic eventually uh during this quarantine situation definitely we need to um and you know the extended crew and family um, okay, so I said Ben Pruitt, excuse me, Max Gallagher, who produces their episodes so that I don't have to do a bunch on the other end. I just throw them up, which is great. Um, Mr. Nathan Hussey, who we haven't had contact with in a bit. As far as I know, he's okay. I talked to him briefly before kind of all this went down. We haven't been in touch in a bit, so I'll give you an update soon. Uh, but he, of course, produced our most successful series as as the Blanchard Brothers, which is How the Sunset, or excuse me, How, how the, the Sunset sun East. How the Sunset East. See how long it's been? <laughs> uh, when the Sunset East, a podcast about why. 
uh, one of my favorite bands, and which turned into our most successful show uh, thus far on the network, which is amazing. People are still checking it out. It's on this feed that you're listening to right now. And, and you're forgetting. Go back to the earlier seasons. Turned into and, one of my favorite bands, too. Yes. Okay. It, it worked. Fucking love. It totally worked. Why? And we have never done the follow-up podcast. We should. try and do the same thing to me. No. We should just let it die. Let it die. For sure. Uh, so of Kill course, it if you have to. The entire, the entire <laughs> band, we think, but specifically Mr. Yoni Wolf, who yes. took time out of his very busy schedule to actually appear on our podcast. That's the cool, still the coolest fucking thing that's ever no, happened. No, 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 no. The, that was cool. The coolest shit was when we went to the concert and he was like, I know those voices. You're Noah. You're Gavin. And I was like, we can hang it up. We're done. <laughs> we're done. <laughs> yeah. I like turned to my friends that came with me to the show and I was like, we're, I'm, we're done here. Like, I can't. What am I supposed to do? Yeah. You know, crazy, man. It was it was awesome. Yeah. So we got some other things in the works uh, for year four, but I don't want to I don't want to say anything too soon on any of that. But the main thing right now, two by two retro reviews was something we want to keep going. People seem to be enjoying it so far. And, you know, Sunshine Mayfield will still join me from time to time. We'll still be doing top fives, etc. And we'll continue to talk about what we've been watching. But that's that's going to be the focus for a little bit. Just some fun stuff you can watch while you're in quarantine. So take your mind off of it. Uh and we're, we've been okay about this so far, but we're trying to pick stuff that, like, at least one of them is readily available, right. free streaming, and then maybe one that you have to be, pay to rent at a right. low price. Or maybe you can find on YouTube or other scurrilous. But most of you got your stimulus check, so you got $2. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, that's that's the big year three anniversary celebration. Here's to year four, and uh, I feel like I should be drinking a beer right now, but I'm not. Right. Maybe we'll crack one in a little bit. Maybe we'll cracker jack <laughs> cracker one here in a minute. Um, it, before we get to two by two, uh, anything you've been watching? Anything yes. you want to shout out? Some rewatches? I, any yeah. TV, etc. Mm. Uh, uh, let me pull the old list up here on notes in my iPhone. I wanted. I, I had this thought because I don't know if we ever followed up on it. Did you ever finish Kingdom? Dude, Kingdom season one. That was the first thing on my list. Did you finish season two? Yet? I got like. Three episodes into two. Okay, well, you've kind of been holding off until you... I'm trying to. Like, I want to just, like... I don't want to start it at night, because I got to pay attention. Mm-hmm. And, like, I may... Technically, I'm off this week. I'll probably finish it tomorrow before I go over to Mom and Dad's. But, like, I'll, I'll be done by the end of the week. So, next time we meet to, to record, I'll have watched all of what's available for Kingdom. Um, I did watch all of the Twilight Zone 2019 remake. I was I'm blown away, dude. Like I don't I know it's it's almost up there with Black Mirror, the, just in terms of how enthralling so it is. So I've only watched two so far. I think we still have CBS All Access for a bit. I oh I have you watched Bottle Rocket yet? No, Excuse I need me? to. I I specifically did the thirty day trial so you could watch that because it was the only free streaming spot, and I was like, oh yeah, let me do that. Yeah, I cannot find my DVD copy okay. for the life of me. It is on Criterion Blu-ray. If you ever want to give me a gift in the future. Just for future reference. You know, normally with Criterion stuff, I go to like Second and Charles and just look at what they have because it's usually pretty cheap. And so I'll look out for it whenever they, they open, reopen, I guess. Casper, stay away from those Criterions. <laughs> um, sorry, I got a segue in. I've been, I've done a few rewatches outside of what we've been working on. Mm-hmm. But my TV diet, I've been consisting on a steady diet of CSI Miami, Eastbound and Down. I know. <laughs> I see it. And. Mobile Suit Gundam. That's what I'm watching at night and during the day. The girlfriend, Veronica, she'd never seen Eastbound and Down. She loved Righteous Gemstones. Okay. And I was like... You have to watch this. I mean, it's still, for me... I mean, Gemstones is only one season. But for me, Eastbound is still the best of the 
McBride, Jody Hill, David Gordon Green collabs. It's still my favorite. It just it holds a special place in my heart. But I was concerned because he is such a fucking abrasive <laughs> character that she might not be down for it. Uh, needless to say, we started it like, I think maybe late last week, and we're almost done with season three. That's the other thing is I forgot that they're incredibly short. Yeah. Like the seasons, it's six, seven, and then eight and eight. So yeah, we're going to... There's we're, four of them? Yes. I think I watched all of three. I don't think I ever saw four. See, four is the one that's most distant in my memory, weirdly enough, even though it's the one I've seen most recently, because I watched Mexico multiple times. I watched the first season at least three or four times, and then I had never seen three on a rewatch. Three's Myrtle Beach, where, right? Yes. Yes, Myrtle that's Beach. the one I've seen all the way And then, through. yeah, I'm kind of vague on... I don't. I, and I'm glad that I don't quite remember what happens in four. I do remember the finale, though, and okay. the note that it goes out on, which is still one of the most insane things I've ever seen. Okay, I'm probably going to have to go back and watch um, three and four just to familiarize myself because i remember one and two like in yes. the back of my hand but three i remember that pretty has good been four. A, a fantastic uh, maybe not for everybody but that's been a fantastic antidote to all of this right now is just reliving eastbound I have really good memories of it because specifically like the second season i remember watching with a uh, friend of the pod baron williams when we lived across from each other and i did neither one of us had hbo so i i did illegally download those but I bought the DVDs after the fact. Twice. Just saying. Anyways. Not really. I'm just trying to make you sound better that you bought them twice. But I bought all the DVDs before I had HBO eventually. Right. Even though now I have it and I'm watching it streaming. Yeah. So, yeah. That's why I feel comfortable saying it. But we we savored those episodes. Uh, It was incredible. And then we went through all of three together. And then I think we watched four independently and just like chatted about it because I think we had moved to separate places at that point. Yeah. Um, Great series. And Mobile Suit Gundam never like properly was able to watch it start to finish because of the age I got into it and like they were showing it on Toonami I guess at the time Cartoon Network whatever the block was yeah yeah uh so that has been a great experience it's like one of my favorite childhood franchises but I'm going back to it and I feel like it plays even better with like a more adult brain cuz it's it's a much smarter show than I probably oh, ever sure, realized yeah. and a lot just very very deep the geopolitics and the back and forth and whatnot and all of that i'm enjoying way more than just like oh i just want to watch like you know robots fight yeah uh it's really really good stuff i i am almost done with part one of the first season which it's only one season it's 43 episodes that's it it got canceled prematurely so but i don't i don't know how all this ends and i've specifically as much as i know about the series i've never read up on like how certain story arcs end Mm -hmm. so i'm looking forward to it i've got Part two in the mail because Amazon's actually shipping stuff again. Oh, okay. So, yeah, should be here. Yeah, I know. I got my glasses. Month. Yeah, that'll be a nice uh, year four present. Um, outside, well, and just real quick, outside of, outside of these, I watched um, the Death Wish remake with Bruce Willis, um, which I went and saw in theaters. So you rewatched? I re it. It technically is a rewatch, rewatch because mm-hmm. I did. I, I watched it in theaters. Forget that it. I forgot completely that it was Eli Roth. I was like, okay, and then I watched. Um, Teristas. Do you remember that one? I mean, I didn't see it, but I remember the movie. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's like Saul in the Amazon, basically. Not Saul. How, Hostel. How was that for you? I mean, you know, every now and then I got to get a little Josh Dumel kick. It's Josh Dumal? 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 Um, um, Something like nobody said that. No, nobody's ever said that. <laughs> Usually I just watch Transformers and I get enough of them. But like this one, he's kind of mainline in the movie, or sorry, headline in the movie. 
And oh, fantastic in that movie. No, you're no, thinking that's of the perfect getaway. Perfect getaway, where the, he plays a marine from South Carolina. Okay, see, didn't see that one either. Really, Mila? No, Steve Zahn. I'm aware of it. Okay, didn't see it. <laughs> I'm aware. Moving of it. on, I rewatched Ronan. <laughs> yeah, because they did a rewatchables on it, so uh-huh. good excuse. Very upset when I popped in your two disc DVD My that bad. I had totally jacked from you and it didn't play. Maybe it was karma for me. I don't know if I ever asked you if I could have. That's the one that it's the special edition that's got two separate ones. Not the or because they have the blue, like the Paramount first issue where it's like oh widescreen on this side, standard for this yeah, side. That's like, one of that that's one probably one I still need works to just fine on Blu-ray though. Yeah, but, definitely. Uh, yeah, great rewatch. Oh yeah, fantastic De Niro in that movie, Jean Reno. And two, two incredible car chase scenes. Uh, Extraction. I forgot about that, too. Oh, I, I was going to ask you about Extraction because I was like, of course he watched it. Like, day one? I didn't, I didn't know about it. I mean, okay, you just it was number one the day I watched it, but I don't think I watched it the day it came out. Okay. I only mentioned it because you would, it might have been like the day after we recorded last or maybe maybe been the same night, but you mentioned Ronan car chase. That has probably one of the neatest oneers because there's basically there's a point where he goes on foot with the kid and gets in a car and the camera does not cut very fun camera play with a really long car chase that leads into an apartment complex that doesn't end until basically Hemsworth is like bringing a truck in and tells the kid get in and that's when it finally cuts really neat if you if you don't watch the whole thing I give you when to start, and when that's to stop. Honestly, what I've heard is like you can watch some of the action scenes just in yeah. isolation and enjoy it. So I, yeah. I may do that, or I may watch the whole thing. Just for you know, it's it's good. I needed to talk. I need to talk to somebody who's watched it to ask Where's them about too. That's all I'm saying. Where's honestly, Black dude, this is what I'm thinking. It could be. He could literally be. What was his name in Black Hat? Something cool. Oh, I'll tell you that name? much. Hathaway. Yeah. He could. Li- it could literally be like Hathaway gets good at guns. And decides he's going to start, like, you know, taking, helping people in these situations when they got to go get people that they can't talk to the police for, whatever. You know, like, almost like a soldier of fortune, whatever, whatever. But the only problem is they do throw in, like, a family backstory. So you can't really say that. But still, I mean, it's free. It's on Netflix. I'll check it out at some point. It's fun. I mean, it's you're not going to be like, oh, my God, they reinvented the action movie. But you're not going to be like, yeah, I shouldn't have watched that. You know? Like... Um, I'll give it to you. My other rewatch is one that would give away my next pick, so I'm not going to mention it. And uh, anything else in here? Um, nope. Yep, I'm I'm all good. Whenever you want to move on. Yeah, no, because the other two I have are the ones we're going to discuss here right now. Alrighty then. So let's move right into two by two retro reviews now. What do you want to kick it off with? We started with. We started with my pick last time, so I feel like we should swap if you want to. But I thought, do you want to, I mean, I don't know. I kind of want to, I really like the idea of just leaving, you know, TIG for the last bit. I think we should just, like a rule we have now. Fair enough. If it's a Thomas Ian Griffin joint. Spoiler alert. The first movie that we're going to discuss then is is kind of a downer. It is. So maybe maybe we should do the the fun one afterwards. Hey, what Uh, are you doing? He's trying to get inside. Let him get to his spot, dude. He's checking out the neighbors. He's going to get inside the blinds and then he's going to stay there. Okay. Just let him do his thing. Okay, so with that in mind, we're doing El Grande Silencio. Otherwise known as The Great Silence. Yes, from 1968. Uh, 
weird one to play a trailer for because all the trailers are in Italian with American subtitles, uh, at least that I could find quickly on YouTube. So instead, we're just going to listen to some of that fantastic Ennio Morricone score. How about that? Yeah, yeah, we can do that. Okay. Great Silence, 1968, for Mr. Sergio Corbucci, one of the three Sergios yeah. of the uh, spaghetti western genre. What did you think of this one? Were you familiar with it at all before I suggested it? No, not at all. Okay. Never heard of it. I I mean, I don't know. <laughs> no, we, we talked briefly a, a bit about the ending which is the main thing that I go with, but one we'll thing lay that, out the plot because I feel like a lot of people have not seen this yeah, one. Yeah, but but give me. I just want to say up front, thank you for lending me the Blu-ray because the conversation with the guy about the making of, so to speak, the you British guy, Alex Cox, talking. About yes, it? yes. That Director of Repo Man said Nancy. Yeah, that that like that put it into perspective for me. Mm-hmm. And it, I'm not saying it made me appreciate it more like, oh, I get it. But there's certain things that like, I feel like the context in which you, they are made do make or break how you interpret them. So, you know, if you see, if you don't know that like, like, let's just take Evil Dead for example if you don't know that that movie's made over a certain amount of years it's really low budget whatever whatever if you watch it for the first time you may think well what the fuck is this like okay but if you know and i I don't know if that's so much of like us being students of film or whatever knowing what somebody was doing at a time i feel like it lets you kind of see a few things that you necessarily like you know they were there but you don't necessarily know why they were there. And when you realize, oh, well, that explains this, it just adds to the whole viewing experience and the nuances just in and of itself. So I watched it without knowing anything about it in Italian with subtitles. And I was like, okay, I get it. And as soon as I was like, okay, this dude ain't going to talk. You went with the subtitles? Yes. I went with the dub because I realized either way I was not going to hear Klaus Kinski. Mm-hmm. Like doing his natural voice, it was gonna be dubbed either way, and I liked the dubbing specifically on his voice. I was like, "This guy is basically capturing Klaus Kinski, but it's not him at the same time." Right. So yeah, I went with the dub. Plus, spaghetti westerns, it's kind of half of the I charm. love the dub. Yeah. So I love the dub on yeah, most things. In but, this particular case, yeah. I, yes. Usually, I go the other way, but the the audio too. I think the dub was in like you know better sound quality or something for the remaster. Oh, sure. okay. Anyways. Basic setup, we have a a lone mute, we don't know that at the opening, but a mute gunfighter, okay? Right. 
named Silence. Right. Shocker. Uh, and he rolls into the area known as Snow Hill. It's a small town. They've been uh, caught up in a blizzard, basically. They can't get provisions, so the, the townspeople have taken to looting, stealing, etc. And there's basically a band of them that are bandits on the outskirts of town trying to rob anybody that comes through. Not particularly evil. No. They just, they're trying to they're trying to survive. They just need food. That's all they're really after. Right. Um, so probably the most evil dude in this movie which is crazy to say given that we have the character of loco who we'll get to in a minute is the local shop owner slash businessman like the banker essentially yeah. uh Pollicut, yes who has basically hired out bounty hunters or bounty killers yeah in this case uh hired them to take out these bandits under the auspices of like They've stolen, et cetera, et cetera. And so he's found a way to profit even in these times when everybody else is struggling just to survive. Right. He's basically now feeding because, off the poor. Because I remember listening, like seeing, remembering that like part of what he has done already before hiring is why these people are broken poor. So like he's driving up prices for stuff that's scarce. Yeah. People can't pay. They have to steal. Then he turns around and says, well, I got bandits, bounty killers come in here and handle the shit. Mm-hmm. And they're all under the like... It's all under legal. It's all legal, technically, from a like a government standpoint. Like yeah. you know, yeah, okay, somebody's got a bounty for committing a crime. You can go dead or alive; doesn't matter. And so, this is like on the cusp of that era, kind of ending. And the movie is definitely about that in a lot right. of ways. But uh, so that's the basic setup. Silence arrives in town, and shortly prior to that, Pauline, who is the main female character in the movie, her husband is killed. By these two bounty killers, um, hired by Pollicut. Right. And basically forces her into a situation where she wants revenge, but doesn't really have any means to go about it. So she needs the money to pay silence. Right. She has to go to Pollicut, who is basically like, You can't afford this, but you could pay me another way. And she's. Not, not down for that at all. Again, this is the guy who basically just got her husband killed. Essentially, seemingly to set up, a, you know, so he could maneuver in here. Right. Really gross, really despicable. Not good stuff. Not good at all. I don't like these guys. No. I don't like them one bit. Okay. So, eventually, her and Silence come to a, a deal of sorts. They're eventually going to get romantically involved. It, it, it's not a huge thing. But, meanwhile... Loco, where do we get the sheriff? Where does the sheriff come in? The sheriff comes in pretty much after her husband's killed. They're like, okay, we need word. We need to send somebody and in here. On his way in, he gets overrun by these bandits, basically. They, they take, take his, his horse. horse. But they're, they're like, like, we're, we're going to eat it. Yeah, like, we're, we're hungry. Eat it. Like, we're not just taking it. So, yeah. yeah. He sees the kind of dire stakes that are going on. Seems to adopt a pretty, like, you know, a logical attitude towards all of this. Was just like, hey, if you don't want them to rob and steal, just take up a collection could leave it for them like we don't have to be exactly. violent about this etc he's not a fan of the the bounty killers in the area which are mainly led by loco which right. is klaus kensky do you know what his name is actually his credited name is so much better il tigre il tigre the little tiger okay, okay. that makes, makes a lot sense. more sense but in the dub and in the translation and the subtitles they just refer to him as loco every time i mean he is pretty crazy terrifying yes he is basically 
I see a lot of Anton Chigurh. Yes. From No Country. And, but a, with a little bit of the like banal, creepy charisma of like a Hans Landa from Inglorious. If yes. you kind of swirled them together. But again, if you've never seen a Klaus Kinski movie, he's just, he's one of the most visually striking actors ever. His eyes are terrifying and like you get lost in him. He plays a baddie quite well and he plays madness and craziness quite well. This is a fairly understated performance given some of the other stuff I've seen from yeah. him, like the Gary Wrath of God, etc. Pretty much all of the uh, Herzog collaborations. So, Silence's whole setup, his whole game, so that all of this is legal on the books, he always gets the other person to draw first. Right. We get this setup in the opening scene. And this is also where you get your first glimpse at one of the coolest guns in all of like Western movie history, as far as I'm concerned. Right. Which is this little Mauser that he has, which is encased in a wooden box, which you eventually, it's called a, it's a broom handle model, I guess is what this was called. Mm -hmm. Almost looks like, uh, like Han Solo's blaster. Right. Really. Uh, but I love later you see that like the case converts into an attachment which looked very Resident Evil to me, that mm -hmm. you, I figured you would dig that. Yeah. Uh, so he has an issue because Loco knows the game, which is like, he always tries to get the other person to draw first, so it's legal, so I'm not going to do that. So, basically, Silence goes in and gets the shit beaten out of him. Right. By Loco. But this is enough for the sheriff to now throw him in jail, Okay. And all of this is very much, like, from Loco's perspective, it's all just a show. Like, you know, there's no real law out here as far as he's concerned. He thinks the sheriff is a joke and that people are just going to come and break him out of there anyways. So they have him held up. Eventually, uh, she's tending to silence his wounds. Pollock breaks in with one of his henchmen and they're, they attempt to rape her. Not a fun scene, not a great scene. Luckily, it does not fully go there uh one of the most killer shots in the entire movie uh in the process of trying to defend her silence gets his shooting hand burned and right. he screams in silence you right. get just the the reaction the no facial sound, expression yeah. but nothing and now's i guess a good point to get into it for a while we're like is he just you know clint eastwood cool he's just the silent gunman he's just not talking and we're gonna get like you know a few one-liners here and there because you don't i mean based on the title you're not thinking silence is an actual character you find that a, a little ways into the movie yeah and the reveal is his throat was slashed his vocal cords were severed as a little kid so he couldn't talk right and who was who did all of this the same guy who yeah. has come into now the local banker pollockett who yeah. yeah basically when he was a kid same sort of situation, profiting off the, the weak and everything. Killed the parents. And instead of killing the kid, just slit his throat so he couldn't say anything. Right. Essentially. Or cut his vocal cords. I guess slit his throat would kill a person, presumably. Yeah. Uh, so he's got a nice... Uh, he's got a nice Aldo Rain Aldo looking, Rain, thank looking, you. Uh, scar around the scar, neck. Yeah. And that's the reveal that he's mute, he can't talk, so you know, don't get mad at him when he's not oh, responding hate to you. The sheriff was like, you could have told me something. like, no, yeah. come on, man. <laughs> you could have told me before I embarrassed myself, basically. Yeah. What? Yeah. The sheriff is really, I mean, other than the dark bits of comedy with Loco, the sheriff is really the only like light element to this movie, yes. which is fairly oppressive the whole time. Uh, we should mention, 
it's quote unquote snowing the entirety of this movie, that's not snow, brother. You know what that is? No. For, well, especially for the final sequences in town and stuff, it's shaving cream. Thousands and thousands of gallons of wow. fucking shaving cream. Because they're shooting this in the summer in Italy. <laughs> but he wanted to do a western in the snow. Too. Italians, his man. What, so, what can I tell you? But you would never no, know you the wouldn't. difference. No, you really you would not. Mm-mm. Like with a lot of the exterior photography. Some great stuff. Uh, so the sheriff is going to take Loco to the proper authorities. Essentially, he's going to put him in the 310 to Yuma and we're going to get justice served, blah, blah, blah. Right. He rides him out by himself. Probably not a good idea. Nope. But silence is still fucked up at this point. So what are you going to do? Loco gets the better of him. He has a gun stashed out here. I love the detail of they have to keep the guns warm Mm -hmm. because they won't fire. So everybody's got them like, I mean, great. Like, obviously, Tarantino's pulled from this movie quite a few times, but particularly with the Hateful Eight, like wardrobe the layers and just the vibe of it in general um and this is kind of a parallel in that they're movies that because we're about to talk about cracker jack they're movies that take place in like snowy areas where we don't see a lot of actual like action in the snow no but we do get a great bit local gets the better of him and shoots the ice that the sheriff is on sinks into the ice okay Mm -hmm. he's done so local rides back into town He's got all the bandits together. Silence is weakened at this point. Again, the hand is still burnt. Hand's not healed. But they've also given word that the bandits need that they should come down and like get yes, this bounty. The that sheriff they, suggested they leave food and they were going to do that. So they've got them riding in. Loco and his bandits round them all up. And it's like they're all worth, you know, a couple hundred, you know, some are worth more than others, but all together it'll be worth it essentially. Yeah. These like 20 people or so. Mm-hmm. So they round all them up. They've got them in the main bar area. They're about to take them out. Silence shows up. This is the hero moment. He's about to show up. They agree to one last duel, essentially. And if he can best Loco, he'll let all these people live. They'll walk away. Okay. Steps up. Boom. Some other random henchman shoots him in his other hand. Okay. So he's further weakened at this moment. And then... Goes to battle Loco. Gets shot down immediately. Yes. Pauline runs runs out. She tries to shoot him. Unsuccessfully. She gets gunned down. And then all 20 of these bandits who are, are on their hands and knees. Tied are, up. Yes. Are mowed down unceremoniously. Move outside. We get a scroll that tells us that this was based on an actual event i don't know i don't know if there's any accuracy to that but that this is the event that led to the outlawing of bounty killers was the this huge act of violence and depravity essentially yeah because they were called bounty killers now they're bounty hunters you can hunt people and you can bring them in for skipping bail but means they have to actually like have been charged with a crime and like gone to court and skipped not hey you stole something he's not here go get him kill him if you have to but get him and bring him back here yes. you know so yeah that is that makes sense but yeah that the and yeah so you get that scroll and then fade out and we're done again this is 1968 okay right the western has already it's starting to change i mean fistful a few dollars more and good the bad and the ugly have already all happened those are what right. like 63 64 65 something, something like that, that. yeah so we're getting and you know, even John Ford has started to like 
do almost commentary on the Western, etc. Like, this is not necessarily something new, quote-unquote. Right. But it just, I kind of did not see it coming at all. I really thought this was, he's going to show up, he's going to best the bad guy, he's going to save everybody, he's going to save the girl, roll credits. And it just, no, it is a total gut punch on every level. So much so that it wasn't released in some territories for its violence and its bleak ending. Mm -hmm. They shot two alternate versions, which I guess, depending on the territory, some of these were slapped on there. I Did you watch both of these? Yes. They're on this fantastic 50th anniversary Blu-ray that I lent to Gavin. Highly recommend you pick it up. It's from Film Movement, I believe, is the distribution company. Mm -hmm. So we there's one alt where... The sheriff comes riding back in out of nowhere. The the hero ending, the happy ending, essentially. The sheriff, who we presume dead, comes riding in out of nowhere, and he and Silence together... Take out every bad guy. Every single bad guy. Everybody's happy. And the sheriff says, you know what? I'll need a deputy. Oh, yeah. It sets up a sequel, basically. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I could use somebody who knows how to take orders and doesn't talk too much. Yep. And you're like, okay. Great. These are night and day day yes it's not even like a slight tweak i mean it's exactly what i wanted though the even weirder one though is the second alt in which silence still dies but they let let the people go they do establish that they're going to let those people go no, they just they end it. Well, they oh, and they right. walk out. Yeah, there's just a shot of Clint Kinski, and it's just fiend, and you don't know what happens to the yes. Yeah, it's you're left, left with just the hero dead. And maybe everybody else spared. Maybe it was just all about getting silence because he wanted to get silence. You don't know. Yeah. But yeah. And then you get the fucking ultra bleak original. And this is the same year as Once Upon a Time in the West came out. Mm-hmm. I know from that thing. Arguably that, Leone's masterpiece. And this is pretty well considered Corbucci's masterpiece. Yeah. Great silence. Well, what that guy, that then Alex Cox guy says is that like he says... And, you know, Leone makes for a few dollars more, which is arguably his best picture ever. Like, he claims I mean, that they, it is the best. It is the it's best the Spaghetti best Western. dollars trilogy. It's the best it's Spaghetti Western there. Ever, ever. I remember watching those as kids. That's part of why I wanted to do this one as well. You're the one who, I mean, I was aware of these. They were on cable back in the day. I know, of course, Paul, like, he was more of a John Wayne guy, but he liked Eastwood here and there. Yeah. So, I was aware of them, just culturally, but I had never sat and watched them until I was about maybe 10, 11, maybe 12. And you had the three-pack DVDs. Mm-hmm. You were getting really into them, and you, you had watched them a bunch. And I eventually, I was just like, all right, this week I'm doing these. And I remember getting to, for a few dollars more, and realizing, like, wait, so it's it's a sequel. It's basically the same movie again, but Lee Van Cleef is his buddy? Like, they're going to team up in this? They're, like, begrudging partners? It's still my all-time favorite because when you get to Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, Van Cleef's the bad guy. Yeah. And he usually was the bad guy. Uh-huh. But in this one moment, they're both bad at He's Mortimer in that, right? Right. I've seen it like two or three times, and I still, like, I need to rewatch that movie. Because you just think of him as Lee Van Cleef. You don't think of names. Yeah, you get the two of them teaming up, basically trying to outdo each other with, like, who's the better gunfighter. It is just a blast, dude. I love that movie, start to finish. So I, I, I'm of the opinion that's my favorite Leone. might be the best. But all I know a lot of people would consider Once Upon a Time in the West is like, even though Good, the Bad, and the Ugly is like the populist choice, I guess. Like, Once Upon a Time in the West is like, it's just, it's just as grand and epic and like arguably even bleaker for sure. It's the best. 
I don't know if he shot all of that. I don't know. Because by the time that, like, he's shooting that, I feel like Spaghetti Western is already a thing. It's already, like, a, a genre. Right. So maybe it's, like, the ultimate commentary on the West and the genre through that lens of, like, the Spaghetti Western. Mm-hmm. So you can argue it's like, okay, the man who made this genre a genre is now, this is his magnum opus of, like, look at what this I can do. This is his final thesis on it. Exactly. Because, I mean, I don't think he does another big one ever after that at all. What's he doing? Once Upon a Time in America is after that, right? Right. But that's essentially a gang. I've actually never seen it start to finish. It's essentially a gangster story, though, right? Essentially, yeah. Okay. Back to Corbucci, though. Let's not shortchange him. Who had made Everybody always Django. has to bring up Leo. Yes, Django was his main claim to fame prior to this. Right. Kind of, like, established him. But he's always kind of playing second fiddle to Leone, but they're buddies, apparently, in real life. Yes. Um, apparently... I'm sure you heard this. I don't know how much of the Cox interview you watched, but Eastwood wanted to make an American version of this specifically. Mm-hmm. Never came to fruition, but he did option it, I'm pretty sure. Or the studio optioned it. Until Just later on. What's that? Well, later on he makes a movie called Joe Kid, where the character is like a it has the same gun and yes, like but it's is not silent. a straight remake. Yeah, and exactly you know, it's not a straight remake, but it definitely steals elements from the other that one. Big one in the midst of this that came up for me it was remade technically as a japanese tv show hmm. called the mute samurai oh if anybody knows where i can watch mute samurai please let me know i did a youtube search it's hmm. not on prime anywhere but it stars shintaro katsu and tomosaburo wakayama now why do you care about them katsu is zatoichi Mm-hmm. OG Zatoichi played yeah. in like 25 movies. Wakayama is my favorite samurai actor of all time. They're brothers, by the way. Wakayama's the older brother. But he's the he's Itogami hmm. in Lone Wolf and Cub, my favorite samurai franchise. Okay. Period. Uh, so yeah, the two of them are in that show together. It's directed by Wakayama, a lot of the episodes. And then uh, Kenji Masumi, who... Um, Directed a lot of the Lone Wolf and Cub movies as well. So, if anybody knows where I can find that, uh, thearchivy at gmail.com. If you have access to it somehow, if you live in Japan and you have like a VHS that I can just get in the mail, Hmm. I'd be down with that. Uh, But yeah, Mute Samurai. Check that out if you want a little more great silence action. So, I guess that's my question. I guess that's what it comes down to at the end of the day. If you remove it from the context of the time and the genre itself... Do you think this one stands on its own, or is it only only as an artifact of like, look how subversive this is given the Western tropes? Look how unforgiving it is at such an early date. Because I think we we think of this the mentality of this movie as more of a '70s style of thinking. Mm-hmm. Like you think it would have come much later, and again, that's why '68 is hard for me to wrap my head around. That just like. I picture some, uh, your average American at the time who's raised on John Wayne Westerns and just happens to come across this somehow. It's playing in a random local theater, if it even played in your U.S. territory. Because again, mm-hmm. the censoring, etc. Just what, if you would be truly floored by it. In the same way that like when you throw on the, the opening of Fistful of Dollars and just the credits alone are like, this is not your average Western. This is immediately something different. So I'm going to go off the wall here. 
I don't know when they made this. don't know what years they shot it. But I do know a year before, one of the movies that I discussed at nauseum during film school, I don't want to say film school, but during my undergraduate film course study, 1967 Bonnie and Clyde comes out. Mm-hmm. And it supposedly is a game changer for a lot of people in its violence and the way it's shot and the way it looks. Because that is a, who made that? That's Arthur Penn. Penn, yeah, that's right. Arthur Penn. Night Moves, which we discussed right. in the last episode. So, knowing that and having that, like the discussion of that in the back of my mind, I often wonder who sees what at what time and thinks, huh, what if I took some of this and like put it into my own story, so to speak? Mm-hmm. Uh, in the Cox interview, he talks about how they both went and saw the same Kurosawa movie or whatever. And they both left wanting to make, remake that, whatever film it was, something like Yojimbo. that. Yojimbo. Yojimbo, yeah. Starring so, Toshiro Mufune, who is basically, he, I mean, he's the godfather of all of this and one of the best actors of all time. Yes. But like, Wakayama and Katsu would be like his descendants in right. the, in they the come great from that samurai school. line, if you yeah. will. Yeah, so I look at that and think, okay, here's somebody who, like, he's... It, Sergio Leone probably couldn't make a movie like this because I don't want to say he invented the genre, made it popular, whatever. You can give him all the credit you want. But if you have the guy, based off what I know from this interview, if you have the guy that was like still kind of working in the system while Leone gets to make what he wants to make. And playing second fiddle. Playing second fiddle, having this and that. Now he finally, and like after doing what he sees, I always want to make one in the snow, want to make one in the snow. Finally, he has the chance to. So he has all this other baggage and stuff coming from like, that's my buddy, that's my friend, look what he's doing. Damn, everybody's going to see his stuff. His stuff's getting green lit. People are talking about him. What can I do to subvert those notions of arguably, I mean, that's the backbone of our of our cinema for 60 years mm-hmm. since we start making, when The Great Train Robbery is one of the first movies ever made. So to subvert this American, deeply American, like genre, to the point that it doesn't matter, the the hero's not going to walk out into the street and gun people down and win the day, because at the end of the day, who you think is the hero, he could be, but these people who just murdered all these people, they're technically by law. Yeah. There's nothing's going to happen to these people. Because the system at the end of the because day is Because your corrupt. system yeah. is corrupt completely. Now... And- does he think in all that when he puts this together? I don't know. Yeah, it's but we can give him the sometimes. credit and say that he was if we well, want to. And this is a, a segment that I want to introduce. Okay, on pretty much all of the Ringer podcasts, but specifically the rewatchables, there's half-assed internet research. Uh huh. I don't want to steal that directly, so we're going to call it specious IMDb bullshit. Okay. Meaning it may or may not be true. I read it on IMDb. Okay. Why would we just call it IMDb says? Because I'm sure somebody has IMDb bullshit as a. Uh, it's got somebody has to have already taken that. We'll call it whatever. This is some shit I read on the internet about this, but I found it interesting because Cox didn't discuss it at all in any of. And I watched that whole interview, but apparently Corbucci is cited at the time of saying that the grand kind of story arc and the character of Silence is actually inspired by the deaths of Che Guevara. And Malcolm X. And so that's why the ending plays out the way it does. That's how they kind of exist within mm-hmm. the structure of like 
the society that's going on in this small little tight, you know, tight knit community. But I didn't really, I, I, that's something he said at some point, but I didn't see a lot of other like deeper reads into it. But that apparently was a huge part of the narrative. And again, okay, I'm just, I'm wondering, you were asking kind of contextually, like, when what he was making was it, it. Yeah, yeah, and, and I, it makes complete sense. I just, I, won't, I just ask about when it was made because, like, you could look at 68 and say, well, you got all these assassinations in 68, but yeah. the movie is made before this happened, so it's not made in 68. You know, it was made in, like, late 70, whatever. Presum- so, uh, presumably he pins that on there as a defense for the, the ending and the ending he wanted all along. Yeah. One thing worth mentioning because we just we didn't really talk about him at all, but... Silence is played by Jean-Louis Tritzengant. I can I, I have trouble with the French names. I'm sorry, but he famously he was worried about being Not in the movie being. to begin with, essentially. And again, this is maybe this is something you put on it afterwards. But Corbucci basically said he had had a conversation with I think Bergman or some or Bertolucci. I'm not sure. I'd have to look. But they had always suggested, like, what if you had a mute protagonist? Because then you could have, you could literally cast anybody from any the language. The most gorgeous or, looking person yeah. on the planet. And of yeah. course, in yeah, in spaghetti westerns up to that point, and this staple of the genre, and all Italian movies, they don't use the sound that they capture on set. Everything is dubbed in after the fact. Right. So he would just. It didn't matter which language was your native tongue. You just you know. You banana, banana, banana. Well, no, you would sit whatever. there and you yeah. would you would count to ten in Italian. Yes, or count that, to ten because that's apparently like mimic your mouth moving can mimic everything by. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because well, but again, yeah. it's part of the charm. I am still amazed though that Kensky's performance comes through in the way that it does, even under the barrier of like the subtitles, which again they're not even crediting his character right. So you wonder what other stuff is like refixed for like it just, just makes more sense in English this way or whatever. Yeah, but. Even through that and the dub, like he's just he's magnetic the whole time. Great, great villain, uh, and he fucking wins. Like, yeah, <laughs> come on. So that's the only reason. That the only reason why I say like I wanted the ending of the sheriff is because that's technically the my only issue with the the movie as a whole with the ending I get. I get I'm supposed to. I've always have a rule in Westerns. It's like, if there's not a body riddled with bullets, don't assume they're dead. Mm-hmm. So when you have, oh no, it's so cold on the ice and you'll freeze to death and the sheriff falls through, I don't see his bullet ridden body. I'm like, where's he at, bro? He's gotten out of that water. Mm-hmm. You think, nah, he ain't going to do Big fat guy like that. Like, he he's warm. He could manage. You know what I mean? He could get out and get to the closest encampment and get warm. So when he comes riding back in in that alternate ending, I'm like, fuck yeah, this is what I want. Because where's he been? He's been absent. I mean, it's a good chunk of the movie, like a good 20, 30 minutes. We don't see him. Yeah. Now, I get in the, if you're watching it in the original context, oh, he's dead. But because there's no, like, final wrap-up, because, again, there's no body riddled with bullets, I don't know where it's going on with him. And that's the only lingering thing I had as I'm watching the ending. I'm like, but wait, the sheriff, like, is he actually dead? Because I, I take it as he's dead. I do, too. Sure. I mean, you can, you, I can get there. I just, mm-hmm. that's just my only, my only, I don't want to say problem, but my only, like, Loose plot hole, I'm wondering, you know. Chaffee. But other than that, I'm not going to lie, man. When when I first watched it, I was like, I, 
why the fuck did he make me watch this shit, man? This better not be. I went and looked. And it's like, oh, one of the best spaghetti westerns <laughs> ever. Because I wanted to text you and be like, well, no wonder this was nobody. I've never heard of it. This shit didn't do nothing. Nobody likes this one because the hero dies. I mean, but then it's like listed as one of the best examples of the it, genre on every top ten list. Yeah, I'm it's like, one of those that people came around to. Again, I didn't really like discover or hear mention of it until a couple of years ago. And yeah. then I saw that they had an anniversary Blu-ray. And it's been sitting on my shelf. I'm glad I finally yeah. watched it. And I'm glad we talked about it. Yeah. So I'm at like an 8.5 on this one. Again, I think it's an essential of the genre. Like right. if I was to recommend like five spaghetti westerns to somebody, this has to be on the list now. Um, I give it to him as the fourth I, one to watch. You don't want him to go out on a Yeah, downer. no, you don't want to. Yeah. You also don't want to start with this because I feel like you need to see some of the tropes before you get to this. Adventure. Right. So, uh, but yeah, so we both really dug this one. We're still, you know. I'm at a nine, a nine overall. Nice. Just given my sentiments and my love of the genre, I give it a nine. So that was solid entry. Il Grande Silencio from Mr. Sergio Corbucci from 1968. All right, it's time for the the two, the the second part of the, the two. This two. is where you play It Takes Two by Rob Bass. No, this is where we listen to the trailer. Oh, we can do that for this. I forgot. Yeah, for Cracker Jack. In a remote mountain resort. A team of international terrorists has planned an elaborate, perfect crime to steal 50 million in diamonds without a trace. They must bury the resort and everyone in it. But there is one thing they didn't plan on. Chicago Police Sergeant Jack Wilde. Thomas Ian Griffith, Nastasha Kinski, and Christopher Plummer. I hope you're happy to learn that you're making things difficult for me. Our GM all choked up. All right. Talking Cracker Jack 1994. <laughs> Another outing. With Mr. Thomas Ian Griffith. Why don't you give us the rundown on this one? You, you talk for a bit. Oh, okay. So, um, Jack Wilde is a bit of a burnout. You know, he's had a little bit of a little bit of trauma in his past he just can't get over. But he can't find it in himself to just go ahead and commit the ultimate, take himself out of the equation. He's got to stick around. So, on the eve of his birthday... After yet another crazy wild shootout, his brother and sister-in-law insist that they go take a nice week. Is it a week or it's a weekend, right? It's a weekend. Take a nice weekend off at a at a beautiful mountain resort to the point that they've already called his sergeant and said, "You got to put him on administrative leave. He's gone." Well, Jack and his family go visit this resort. And all hell breaks loose because a team, as you heard in the trailer, a team of international terrorists. They got all races, all nationalities in there. No black guys, though. It's kind of weird. Um, they're there to steal diamonds. And they have the perfect diehard plan of, well, they'll just think we're dead because we're going to blow up the mountain and like cause a massive avalanche. And they'll think we're all dead and we'll get away scot-free. But not if old Crackerjack has anything to say about it. Is that good enough? I mean, you want more plot detail? I, I can... mean, you could have very easily just said, 
It's Dime Store. It's Baby Die Hard. It's Dime Store Die Hard. Yeah, That's Dime what Store Die Hard. Whatever you, we want to call it. You said Dollar it General is, Die Hard. I said it was Dollar General yeah. Die Hard. Yeah, it is 110% it a like, family dollar Die Hard. Because, like, you know, family, it's all about his family. Okay. He doesn't yes. have one anymore, as we'll learn. Yeah, as we <laughs> learn in the opening credits. Yes. Um, this thing gets off with a bang. Oh, yeah. And also immediately with me questioning whether this was a good decision to watch this movie. It's the grainy, like, we know we're in a flashback filter. Mm-hmm. I don't know. The look on his wife's face. Our boy T.I.G., whatever we're calling him. We can just call him Tig. It's Tig. cool. Sure, Tig is outside of the car. They look at the, maybe they're at a gas station. I we don't, don't know. You can't really tell because the way it's cropped out. Or whatever. All we see is his wife as he's like, "Get, get, out, get of out of the car. car!" And she has this very. Like, oh, you're yelling at me. There's no one else around here, but you're yelling at me. As if she like takes mime classes on the side or something, though. Just this expression of like, "What? What? <laughs> what? Do what with the car? Boom! Explosion! <laughs> Cracker Jack. Okay. So now you did say that she wanted. All of the movies that you watch of him to come in like that. So the minute I saw Cracker Jack, I was like, Noah got his wish. Yes. Noah got what he wanted. But they, they fuck up very quickly. Before before anything really kicks in, on a black screen, we hear a partner talking about the fact that he's about to get married in two days. Yes. Something like that. Don't, don't and do I, this to me, Jack. I'm going to get married in two I days. I am literally like, if a character tells you, they're about to get married, and it's still the opening credits. They are most definitely going to die immediately. They're supposed to. But he doesn't. I know. They make it through this first shootout. A little subverting the genre. Yeah. Here we hear another thing. He saves play. his buddy, Maury. Yes, Maury. Maury drives him home and tells him, you know, you're losing it, Jack. They're calling you Cracker Jack down guys, at the station. Down at the station, the guy's got a name for you. Oh, yeah, Maury, what's that? Cracker Jack. He also tells him, Jack, you got post-dramatic... Stress syndrome or shock syndrome. Excuse me. Not PTSD. PDSS. Post-traumatic shock syndrome. I was like, it was this like a year before PTSD was a term? Like, it was just very odd. But yeah, so he's, it's been, we find out, oh God. Okay, so he goes home to his apartment and we get the classic like, oh dude, somebody's in there. Somebody's waiting for old Cracker Jack. So he Kicks through the door, pulls his gun. No, he tear, no, 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 no. What? He takes the light bulb out oh, of the I hallway. I didn't understand this at all. I was like, is that a random like? Well, no, it's. I interpreted that as, oh, if he takes the light out of the light bulb, they won't see his feet under the door. But he just saw their feet, but they wouldn't see the light going out. I don't. Know. I don't know. Regardless, he busts in, gun drawn. It's a birthday party for him, and I love that he immediately just bails, goes to his room, goes goes through yeah. that into the kitchen and gets a beer. And then punches this person who's coming to talk to him, which he realizes his older brother. You gotta like, admit, brother's kind of a piece of shit in this movie. Kinda. I might, yeah. I might tussle with him a bit. <laughs> not great. And also, I, I'm not believing that these two guys came from the same mama. No. Like stepbrother, they could have written in. This is like or a better yet. Why is the sister-in-law not just his sister? That's what they I'm saying. They have so much better chemistry together. They look like they could be brother and sister. She talks like, to him and acts like she is his actual yes, sister. like she is way too involved. She's hitting for... She's giving him that baby. Yeah. She's like, no, you're doing this. We already talked to your sergeant. Oh, and at first I'm confused because in the opening, okay, we see just the wife get blowed up. Right. Okay? But in the flashback but, later. Yes. Okay. 
And the sister at some point says, oh, you and Lisa and the kids, you were such an inspiration to us. And I'm like, the kids? And so we see a baby right there, and I'm like, are they, like, raising his kid because he's, like, can't deal with it right now? Yeah. And so I'm watching the way he's interacting with this baby, and I'm like, still, still don't know what's going on. I'm like, okay, so did the kids die in the bomb, too? And they just didn't want us to, like, see that, so they didn't show it. But no, they eventually do show us. A full flashback. In a full flashback. And the whole reason it was blown up, he was about to testify in open court. He was the, the key witness in the state's case against this big mob family in Chicago. He's a Chicago boy once of again. Of course. To the point where I was like, was he born in Chicago? No. No. I Presumably just a big fan. Or it was easy to shoot in Chicago. Maybe. I mean, that city needed all the help it can get. Yeah. Okay. So, they're, you know, it's been a year, which I'm like, I don't know what the window on, like, telling somebody they should be over the violence. It's not like she died of cancer or something. Yeah. She was, like, blown up in front of you. In a car and you were was, supposed to be in. And it was your fault. It's all your fault, dude. And, and then we come to find out your kids were blown up in it, too. Your entire family unit just up in flames. Like, normally, they wouldn't let you be a cop anymore. That's my whole... I have written <laughs> down in here. I was like, hold on. Oh, I also have, it's his birthday again? Yes. Tig has rough luck with birthdays, man. Excessive force, his buddy gets abducted, gets his legs broken, <laughs> and his brain's blown out, and his girl gets it too. Rough times. And, yeah, okay. What a waste. Oh, yeah, I have only a year. Why is he still on the force? Like, this is not, there's no way they would let him still be a cop right now. I mean, unless Chicago just desperately I, needs yes. it. And I have, are the kids dead too, as a big question mark, until we eventually Jesus. get it revealed. Okay. Huge, first big thing, and this kind of started early on. The score in this movie is dog shit. Yes. It is like, it feels so TV movie-ish. It feels TV, it feels like, it's, ugh, like bad 90s action TV score. I don't know how else to describe it. Like Mr. Nanny. Over, like a... Sure. I I've heard Mr. Nanny in a I hear notes in this score that I've heard in a lot of Columbia Trimark, like yeah, straight a, to video. This seems like a lot of just like temp music or something. I would you know have much is? rather it's have probably a like nice, probably like the third or fifth version of like Final Cut Pro or Adobe Premiere, like the early versions. And it was like synths and stuff that they had for free. And it was like, oh, we'll just save money. We'll just get somebody to do it for us. And it was like. I, I, this is the documentary I want to make. It's like just one guy who's terrible at music that edited like 40, <laughs> you know, what would, would have been classics, but the fucking score is shit. And yeah. so like they aren't, you know? But yeah, this one, like a, a redone score would go a long way oh, yeah. to help this movie out because that was one of the most jarring things to begin with. Okay, so the brother and the sister-in-law convince him. You got, he's like, there's no way you're going to get me on a mountain. Boom, cut to... The, the jump going. cut of him closing yeah. in that... I, I'm on board. I like the humor. I'm, I'm I'm in it. I get it. For sure. Shortly after they get there... or Excuse me. We get the setup that there's some fishy stuff going on. We see people on a mountaintop right. in the ice. Speaking of movies where you leave people to die in the ice and don't know whether they're alive or dead. Oh, that was this was a great one. This guy right here. Yeah. So, um, and prior to this, do we already... We get our introduction to Plummer. Right, because they bring the right dude you're talking this. about into this little, like, warehouse meeting where he's got a bag over his head. Yes. And he's like, you just have to sit back and shut up and do as what you're told. The, the Iceman, the guy who's going to help them with these, yes. these diamonds. Uh, Christopher Plummer 
is simultaneously like he's he's great in this. He's the best thing in it. He's pretty much the only reason worth watching it. But it is so Hans group. I was gonna say, you know the director and the producers are like, just go watch Die Hard over and over and, and I'm over. just like if they just tweak the accent a little bit, made him from anywhere else, but then where the story goes it makes sense that he is German. <laughs> yes. We'll get there. Okay. Yeah. So we get the setup scene that there's some sort of caper going on here. Right. We also get this random cutaway once we get to the resort to this elderly Italian man talking about the pain of his arthritis. Yes. He's got He's probably got gout and some other stuff. I don't know. He's having a rough time. He's towards the end of his life. Don't worry. What we'll... seems to be his young son. And I'm immediately just like, what? where are we? What is the, <laughs> like, how's this going to tie don't worry. in? Hey, hey, What's going on? They're sewing the threads, dude. Don't worry. <laughs> They'll bring it all back around. Trust me. Sure. Okay. Also, shortly after they get there, we get introduced to, I just have a big note. There's no fucking way that Nastasia Kensky is the activities director at this place. Like, she's not from this planet, dude. There's right. no way she works as the activities director anywhere, but right. much less at this place. Again, this is Klaus Kinski's daughter. Is that, that is correct, isn't it? Yeah. That's our connection That's here? the connection with this, yeah. yeah. I thought you... In the snow. In the snow. Yeah. I was going to let you get there. Well, I had... Well, he, Klaus died in 87, I think. Could you imagine if, like, that was his last, like, he did the Christopher Plummer role, if he was, like, old and, like, still alive? Could you imagine, like, father-daughter combo, he's, like, the terrible bad guy? Like, you exchange him out, just swapping Loco for Christopher Plummer, and, like, have it, that's his last movie, him and his daughter do this, this Thomas Ian Griffith action movie in the 90s? Oh, dude, I, could you just, can you see it? Just a little bit? I totally botched a joke, because we've already introduced him at this point. What? I was going to be like, uh, yeah, so the main bad guy, Kevin Spacey, I mean, Christopher. <laughs> oh and now I've, now I've fucked it up and announced it. So. Okay. We, immediate sparks between Tig yes. and Natasha. Nat, Nat, I wanted to call her Natasha. Natasha. It's Natasha. Natasha. Why am Tashka. I over? Natasha. I don't know. Nastasia. Nastasia Kensky. Yeah. Nastasia. Nastasia. I could swear every trailer calls her, besides this movie, every trailer I've ever seen her in is like, Natasha Kinski. I'm like, okay. I'm pretty sure. Um, iconic role in Paris, Texas. Yes. But for me, Colette Rashad. In Colette Father's Rashad. Day. <laughs> oh, she let me take nude photographs of her. <laughs> and then, <laughs> I took nude photos of her and her roommate coming at me in a slip and slide. <laughs> Your, your so, life is something I'd be afraid to rent. <laughs> <laughs> You're humping your faculty? <laughs> We'd have Under, to talk about Father's Day at some it's point. It's just going to be us quoting the whole movie. <laughs> it's so underrated, man. I know it's like the it's considered one of probably the worst Reitman movie ever made. I love it. Me I stand too. by it to this day. It's, yes. I watch it a couple times a year. Yes. I fucking love Father's Day. <laughs> yes. Bruce Greenwood, dude. There's so much good stuff in the there. The idea that she fucked both Billy Crystal and Robin Williams and, and then ended with Bruce. That makes, that takes the cake <laughs> of all of it, man. Yeah, you would expect her, like, current <laughs> husband to be complete. Yeah, we gotta do Father's Day. It would be we'll funny if her current husband was like Danny DeVito. <laughs> Wouldn't yeah. that be ridiculous? That's where they should have gone. That would have sure. been hilarious. 
Oh my God, Father, dude, let's do it as like this this June. Let's let's actually do Father's Day. We do Father's Day on Father's Day. Like a whole dad movie thing, dude. We like our top ten. We've done a we've done a dad movie episode before. Just one movie, or do we like? Believe so. I thought I thought early in the movie arc feed. I'd have to check back. Let's do that. Let's let's get back to Cracker Jack, okay? Because Cracker Jack is back. I'm sorry. You could see I'm avoiding. Yes, you could see I'm avoiding like talking about it because it's it was fun. Yes, it was fun. It was no excessive force. With the right, it was not excessive force. But if you it go was into this fun. With the right attitude. It's a reasonably fun watch. As far as diehard knockoffs go, I've seen worse. I've definitely seen worse. Do you remember? Oh God, what's the one with Dean Kane in a mall around the holidays? <laughs> I have, oh come on, man! I know what you're talking about, but you, it's like it was like a TNT original movie yes. when they still did those. I yes. think they still do. But that's like asking me to come up with the name of that one home invasion movie. It's we can like shopping season or something, something like, like that. that. Yeah, it's some, yeah. Anyways, yeah. yeah. Where, where are we? Sorry. Things so, have not gone down. All right. So he's trying to get, like, he's asked her, like, what do you think? And she's like, no, I don't really like, I don't really date the help kind of thing. He's like, oh, I, I understand. Sorry. Um, so they get to the final dinner. And, of course, Jack can't handle. I don't know if he just can't handle people or he doesn't like dinner and ballrooms. I don't know what it is. But he's like, he's drinking. And, of course, he, his brother comes out. It's like, come on, man. You got to come in here and eat with me. So, he, you know, the brother takes the flask, puts it in his jacket, and they all go about their business. Well, at some point, some other person who we never go back to, I feel like, is in, like, this place and, like, causes Jack to go batshit crazy and want to fight him. Remember? I guess I'll let anybody in here now. Like, it's some... Did you not get... Was that... Who is that guy? That's the old Italian guy and his younger... Br- Dude, did you miss the whole setup of the movie? Those are the gangsters that he was going to testify against. Who does he argue with? The younger son? Yes. Oh, I didn't catch it. It was the younger son. I thought it was yeah, a different he says, actor. I guess he just spots him. Him him, and Nastasia are in the middle of dancing. dancing. Yeah. He locks eyes with this dude and you're like, oh shit, it's on. And that's when you realize that's the mobsters that he was testifying against. Ah, He's going to put okay. away forever. That this make- was another case like DeMarco in Excessive Force where this guy just keeps getting off. Just, you know. So that's what the conflict's over. That's why he storms out. He like goes to fight the dude. But yeah, that's the younger son. Okay, I thought it was just and a random other dude. Setup. Spoiler alert: If you haven't watched the movie, that we eventually find out they know Christopher Plummer's character because they hired him to kill Jack's family, essentially, or Jack, but ends up getting the family. Check your oil, sir. Yes. Check so we get the flashback son. of that. And again, I think the, all of this is completely unnecessary. Like no. the fact that he's responsible for the family's death, I don't need it. He can just be a wounded cop. It doesn't have to be like him getting his revenge on him, essentially. Because that's not even actually how it plays out. If I'm correct. He do- we'll get there. Yeah. Okay. So. All hell breaks loose. He's he, not. Well, he, decides to go, he decides to go up to the roof. Right. To chill. Yes. And in typical diehard fashion, you know, John McClane isn't around when the bad shit goes down. Neither is he. Yes. And, oh no, he's in his room. He goes back to his room and he's watching some people who are about to get it. Get it it on. And there is one of, I, Jesus. I have it written down here. Okay. He says something to himself. There, yeah, he's like, this is wrong, but like, I'm going to do it anyways. 
And then there is a solid like minute and a half long shot of some breasts getting rubbed down with ice. Right. Like it goes on forever yes. to the point where it is like, you want some tea? People expect TNA in these movies. It is some 80s level shit where you're like, dude, it is 1994. What are we doing? <laughs> so you get that moment, the insert shot, and then he's watching the, these people get it on. Similar, of course, it reminds me to when things go down in Die Hard, there's the woman who get. I always remember it as a kid because anytime you saw boobies and you were under the age of 10, it was like, what? <laughs> but there's a couple getting it on in one of the offices and she gets ripped out and is right next to where McLean is hiding at and then he bolts down the like, right. stairwell and everything. So I was like, dude, it's literally hitting that note too. Like these people, yeah. He hides under his balcony or whatever. He realizes something's going on. He goes up to the roof to observe. And this makes no sense to me. He decides to take a shot while he's up there. While all of these guys are down there with guns, they're now aware of his presence. Just not a smart move. Whatever. I don't think he does a shot then. Like He does. He tries to shoot him through the skylight. Oh, I thought it was like... Yeah, that is right. I think that's like the one because I kept looking. I'm like, knowing that it's a diehard ripoff, I'm like, how are they gonna switch out the whole thing? And yeah, they don't. They don't do enough to differentiate. At the end of the day, there's a few. It is an interesting study for the ways that it is completely unlike Die Hard. But here's where I think they really drop the ball. He and Kensky have great chemistry, as we established, and we almost I feel like we're getting a tease of it when they introduce her as the activities director and that like she kind of knows the park etc I kind of thought this was going to be the two of them against all of these guys yeah when you look at the the box art yeah yeah and they very much they just sideline her and it's a huge mistake because she's like actually giving a solid performance and like totally works and again they have chemistry that's where you could have really changed this up is if you made it the two of them working together to try and take down this terrorist group and like he's maybe constantly trying to protect her because she's not as good with like weapons an, but she's getting him like an place. under siege kind of thing because doesn't yes. doesn't Seagal team up with Eckhart Eleniac Eleniac or Eckhart whatever her name yeah. yeah for a minute um, I believe something like so. that but yeah you could have gone a bunch of different ways but it does basically just kind of turn into the usual I gotta take out these terrorists kind of one by one I'm trying to evade them the detonators if you will in this scenario are the diamonds right. that they were there to extract. Mm-hmm. Which the guy left in his own ice cube trays. Yes. That's smart. The military gets involved at a certain point. He has to like prove there's a mishap where they shoot at him. Very diehard-esque again. He even says, like, I'm on your side, asshole. That is yeah. a direct diehard It's rip-off. just, yeah. It's hitting the left and right. He's wounded in this point. He does get the shit beaten out of him yeah, this He gets movie. shot a definitely couple times. Definitely trying to do the McLean thing. Right. He's definitely not unstoppable badass mode, uh, like excessive force. But... Doesn't bring a lot of karate to the role either. Not no, a lot of martial a arts. Lot, yeah, a lot of brawling, was, but not a lot that, of kicking. Again, that's another venue to differentiate it from Die Hard. If you had like a guy in a similar situation, but he's karate kicking all these dudes, it just it changes the game a little bit. Yeah. The first kind of big fight with the terror. Now, you want to compare this to the first terrorist in Die Hard. That's still one of the best like hand-to-hand struggle fight scenes I've ever seen. It's really well staged. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. It feels like he's actually killing that dude. Like, not in a gross way. I'm just saying, like, it feels like the actual exertion you would have to the go through. The way he it's goes not, down with him on the It's not Hollywood yeah. at all. I no. love that fight scene. Yeah. The first one we get in here, it, it makes no sense. It makes no sense. They're fighting on the rooftop. This guy throws a knife into the door, pins Jack 
suit jacket. Yeah. Jack twirls out of it, okay? He gets kicked down the little stairwell. The other guy steps into frame, inside the door frame, and is talking to him. And he holds up, Jack holds up his badge. He's like, I'm Chicago PD. Like, hold on a second. And then the door closes on this guy with enough force to pin the knife into him and kill him. Makes yeah. no sense whatsoever. You know what Even doesn't make any like more sense? this is one of those heavy automatic doors. Yeah. It just, the shot doesn't make any sense. And it's also a weird opening note of like, wait, so Jack didn't kill this guy. Like, circumstances killed this guy. And But he drops a one-liner. He tells him to like hang in there. Stick so around. Stick around. Yes. And I'm like, that was part. one of the most shoehorned things I've ever seen. He didn't even like, uh, yeah. So we're not off to a great start on that front. I'm a little wonky here. I'm just like. I don't know, man. I'm hoping it'll turn the corner, but I don't know. Here's where things get interesting to me, eventually. The backstory. Plumber. Yes. yes. The best backstory. He's a fucking Nazi. Basically, yeah. He's a member of the SS, which I literally had to look it up. I was like, was the SS still a thing? Disbanded in 1991. What? Yes. <laughs> what? The secret police... Oh ended operations God. in 91. Now, I'm sure maybe the name was kept and their purposes were different. I hope over so. Over several decades. But I was like, dude, what? Did you tell me he's like some ancient Nazi? Like, what are we talking about here? But no, he's like trying to start another like Third Reich and shit. Yeah, because he keeps talking about like, you know, the era and like who, you know, yeah, who's going to start our comes, own. Yeah, comes completely out of left field towards the end. But here's who also steps up. And becomes my favorite character of this entire movie. Stefan. Stefan. Essentially his number two, who I was really hoping was Vigo the Carpathian the whole time. But it wasn't, sad to say. I mean, he's just a Carl. That's all he is. He's not not a Carl. He's a a dollar store version of Carl. Someone tell Carl his brother is dead. But Carl is so much cool. He's definitely dollar store version. Yeah, that's like, what I'm saying. He's 100%. got the long. Carl he's is got badass. But yeah, anyways, Carl, yeah, yeah. He's set up as essentially the number two, but he turns on Plummer at a certain point because he wants him to eliminate the last of the mercenaries. It's like, hey, we're you know we're not going to pay these guys for the job. We're going to just you know kill them, close up shop. You're a true son of Germany and blah blah blah. This only and in it for the money. He has this attack of conscience where it's like, no, this I will not do. I will not kill these mercenaries after he has, I, we could probably chart it, but he's directly been responsible for the deaths of like multiple civilians at this point. Right. People no get shot left and right. But all no of a sudden question. he gets weirdly defensive about his brothers in arms, essentially. Well, he says he made a deal with them. He promised them like, you know, they're, they're half or whatever. And he's like. Well, just kill them because they're not a true son of Germany. They're only in it for the money. They don't care about our cause. Right. Oh, okay. So I, I'm like, okay, interesting twist. He's going to be the one to take out Plummer. Did not see this coming. It's not quite how it plays out. He wounds Stefan. Stefan does come back at the end, though, right? Right. To, like, take him out, if I'm not mistaken. Because Tig doesn't actually do it. No, he tells him to go get away. Like, you can you can kill him now, or you can get, get away. I'll handle it. Like, he... Yeah. Yeah, because... Plummer has the upper hand at one point. And if it wasn't for Steph- Stefan or Stefan or whatever, how you want to pronounce his name, he'd be, that'd yeah. be it. But another kind of like, in the same way when he gets to DeMarco in excessive force and it's like, oh, this guy's almost too pathetic to kill him at this point. It's like, we simultaneously like, don't want him to take revenge on Plummer for the death of his wife and his family at this point in the movie. But like, yeah, 
it plays out reasonably well. He makes it away from the explosion, all these timers that were set to go, fake the avalanche so they could get out of there. It seems like a natural disaster. Very convoluted plot. Extremely Very. convoluted. Uh, but due to an earlier setup line from Miss Kensky, he knows that the hot springs are flow into other parts of the... Uh, the only, this is yeah. the problem, problem I had. And the fact that he uses this once to get away from bad guys. Yes, when he, he dives swims, into the pool and Which makes no sense. Why would you dive in a pool that small? And they have machine guns and they can't hit him. It makes yeah. literally no sense. But, but you yeah. can, but you know enough that like what what normal people would think is probably the you know the actual vacuum and motor that would probably suck you in. Oh no, that's just a grate I can swim through to get to to get back to the hot spring. Yeah. So anyway, so he knows to take that that route again. Right. Like don't do it. So in the this first blast one. goes off. Yes, everybody's safe and sound essentially, and he and Kensky finally basically he's like, I'm finally over my wife. I can let this go. And you're like, dude, it's only been. It's okay, but it's also, I have a giant note somewhere in here that's just like, if anybody's going to make you forget about your dead wife, it's Natasha Kinski, 100%. And we're, I mean, we're uh, glossing over some gems, like, you know, I mentioned the fact that his brother put the, uh, the, uh, oh my God, thing dude. in his coat, and, like, they pulled the whole, like, Ellis thing from Die Hard of, oh, if you do, this death will be on his hands, you know, whatever. He breaks the Jack Daniels bottle to make fake diamonds to give him and shit, like, there's just so many... There's so many things in this that really do, in my opinion, make it worth watching. Just to be like, ah, oh, the 90s. Like, <laughs> yeah. what a fun time. It's Again, it's totally watchable, but it did not, like, excessive force was like... A fucking gem. A revelation yes. for me. This was... I was glad I got to spend some more time with my boy. I like him playing a little... He's showing the range, mm-hmm. you know. He's, he can play the, the cop with the dead family, not just the... You know the dead partner. Yeah, and the cop. You know, battling issues. difference there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, he's basically like, I can forget my wife. I can take my ring off, and she's like, It's okay not to forget the past. It helps you with your future. Yeah, or something. That, to that no, effect. I remember that quote. I was like, Damn, that. Damn, she's yeah, she's the one for you, bro. Like she's got it all figured yeah. out, man. Go for it. Yeah, and that's literally it. They they walk off from the from the hot springs and roll credits. That was Cracker Jack. Yeah. We are forgetting that, like, when he finally comes back and he's getting ready to go to the final little bit, he does say, Cracker Jack is back. Oh, yeah, as done. soon as he gets his gun. Yeah. Oh, the, very diehard as well, where his um, sister-in-law has suggested, like, no, leave the gun in our room or whatever. And after the terrorists have revealed themselves, he's walking back to the room very much a, come out to the coast. Oh, we'll get the the yeah, oh, but yeah. it's, oh, oh, leave my gun over here, here. bro. Yeah. He's got some decent banter to himself. He... He holds his own. I really like him in this. I wish he and Plummer had a little... They get the one scene, which is the kind of the stand-in for the Hans. Um, yeah, that's, scene, a, that's one where they is, don't kind of like mirror it, where it's like, oh, you know, he doesn't see him outside of, but it's almost... the staging of that, again, why they don't just blow him away right then, makes no sense to me. Like, his henchman could very clearly do... When he stand, It's before he does the pool jump and everything. Mm-hmm. Where he's like, don't kill him until we have the diamonds. But the diamonds are fake. Like, he hasn't even found the diamonds yet. No, he's thrown the diamonds in the... Yeah, in the Crown Royal bag. The fake yeah. glass diamonds or whatever. That's what I'm saying. They could just ice him right there, but they, they don't. Well, he tells several to, times. Well, he tells him to leave, and then that's when he goes, Oh, I hope they aren't using the, the ski lift. They might find that it's it's like, you oh, have yeah, a choice. that rig for explosives. The, the same military way or me. Yeah. It's like... Dude, what are you doing with this accent? Diabolical. This is, you are fucking diabolical. 
Christopher uh, Plummer. No, uh, yeah, no other real big notes I wanted to get to. I had fun with this one. It is free on Prime. That's yes. one of the biggest selling points. So if you're in a Thomas Ian Griffith mood post Excessive Force or post Karate Kid Three rewatch, I don't know. Um, you you could do worse. Again, there are way worse Die Hard ripoffs. Again, out there. there are two sequels to Cracker Jack. By the way, just throwing that. And out apparently, there. they get crazier and crazier. I know Judge Reinhold is in the second one. Can't wait. And Bo Svensson is in the third. They are all free streaming, right? I believe so. I'm gonna so, have to watch those other two. I want to see where it goes. Well, are you? Please tell me you're not gonna make me watch Cracker Jack too. Oh no, I got yours right here. Whenever you're ready. Okay. You want to do what we're doing next week now? Um, I guess so. This one, I give it a, I give it a gracious, or excuse, as blank check would say, I give it a gentleman six point five. Actually, it is a hundred percent a mediocre diehard ripoff in every way, shape, or form. But Plummer, he's having fun, even though it is a pale imitation of the greatest movie villain of all time, in my opinion. Yes. Uh, so you got a lot to live up to, but solid seven. Tig again the the main fault here if they just. If they let him and Kensky go at these terrorists together. Right. If she wasn't trapped on the inside. And they do a little bit of stuff with her on the inside and, like, trying to protect people, the faking out of the names, etc. But, like, they should be in the field together. They should be doing stuff. Uh, I got that's, it. That's I the missed opportunity I as far got as I'm it. concerned. What do you got? He, the whole reason they're there is because it's his, it's Plummer's estranged daughter. Okay. She works there. Okay. And it's the perfect heist. Because... She's going to have this mobster come in. None of in. this in the movie, again. This is how they do it. Like, this is how they should do it. So it's like, she's got to team up with Jack to, like, take out these people. Doesn't know that it's her estranged father. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then no, you have the moral it. compass of, like, oh, man, that's my estranged dad. But, like, he did blow up this new, my new love interest is, like, family before. What should I do? And that has to play out. I don't know. It's something. You know, it, it is something. And it is definitely more thought than they gave it. So Probably. I thank you for that. Mm-hmm. Uh that's Cracker Jack from 1994. The year of Shawshank Redemption, <laughs> Pulp Fiction, and Forrest Gump. Oh, my uh, God. By the way. So just to put it in context, that's what was going on in the uh, vaguely straight-to-DVD Could you imagine? Space. Could you uh, imagine? Straight-to-VHS at that point. So just put Tig in Travolta's role in Pulp Fiction. I mean, I can see it. I can, too. I just, yeah. I wonder. Okay. While we're on the note, because I, I, unless you're going to randomly throw another another TIG at no, me. No, no. Um, this has something to do with your last one that you gave me. So. Hayden Slosberg, who works on Cobra Kai, has been tweeting a little bit. And people have been asking questions. And anytime that they asked him randomly, what's your favorite character just of the entire franchise? And he says, I, I've always loved Terry Silver. Okay. And then later on, somebody asks, like, has Thomas Ian Griffith been contacted by the production, blah, blah, blah. And his response is just, trust that I love Ter- Terry Silver. So, is it a tease? Oh, my. Don't, don't but, even. I mean, you and I have talked many a time. We want him back. That would be the perfect, like, capper to season three is just let us know that he's going to be in there. That would be so cool. Yes. But, uh, yeah, they're delayed on release for post-production, so we may not see it until the fall. But <clears throat> it's coming. Oh, man, I got it. What's that? After falling from from grace, Terry Silver has to take on a new student. Who's someone that Daniel-san has fought and beaten that would need a new sensei? Mike Barnes. They'll probably... No, him. not Mike Barnes. What? The kid from the second one. Dude, I would love some references to two to creep into the show. 
more references. But he finally has made it to America to hunt Daniel Sun down again. We discussed this exact same thing. I'm just saying, man. Theory on our cast, which is available on the TV arc. So go back and listen to those Cobra Kai episodes. Yes. All right. So that was it for this 2x2 two two retro review. Yes. But we want to let you know what we're doing next time so you can watch in the in the interim. We're watch trying alongs. to do them about once a week. What's that? We'll kind of call this section, section Watch Alongs. Yeah, we give you what you're gonna what we're gonna watch, so you can watch along. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, I don't okay. know. We'll figure you, it out. Who's going what, first? You go first. All right. We're going to the eighties. Yes. I hope you're happy. Oh I yes. Basically teased it on Instagram already. I think you showed me this before I left yesterday, didn't you? The last time, didn't you? I mean, yeah. I'm Fuck try- yes. I'm just I'm giving mm. Gavin a present on mm. this one. We're doing to live and die in L.A. Yes. Everybody is gonna wang chung tonight. Yes. Okay. Uh, well, if we're going to live and die race downstairs, I'll hand it to you. Okay. Well, uh, if yeah. we're going to live and die in LA, you can tell me all the million ways to die in the West. Oh Christ. Have you not seen, <laughs> you haven't seen this, right? Nope. I you have it. All right. I'm sticking with the Western theme. I'm okay. sorry. So just so everybody knows in advance, next week we'll be discussing <laughs> one of the greatest crime thrillers of the modern era. And we'll also be discussing, and by discussing, it's just going to be you fucking quoting the movie back to No, me. it's not. I, wa- I genuinely want to know your reaction to this movie. I don't I don't need any texts. Matter of fact, I'm not texting you a damn thing about to live and die in L.A. All right? We're not going to talk about our review and watch it. We're going to, and when we get down here before we get ready to roll, we're not saying a word. I want your genuine reaction to this. Because to me, it's right up there with Blazing Saddles. When it comes to what it does about the Western. Okay? That's just what I think of it. There's so many Western comedies out there. Um, okay. I think you'll enjoy it. I will it. try and give it a fair shake. But I just want it to go down on record that I gave you a present. And you gave me maybe a shit sandwich. We'll see what happens. Oh, I so hope you eat that shit sandwich when we talk Dude, next I, time. Dude, I will keep an open mind and I want to like it. I want to like it. We'll see what happens. Okay. Next time on 2x2 two two <laughs> Retro Reviews. To Live and Die in L.A. from Mr. William Friedkin from 1985. And A Million Ways to Die in the West from Mr. Seth MacFarlane. What year? 2013? 14? Yeah, 2014. It may have come out in 13. Maybe the Blu-rays dated as 14. But yeah. Yeah. Uh, So yeah. Go check those out. To Live and Die in L.A. I believe is rentable on Prime. Not sure about Million Ways to Die in the West. Might have to rent both of these actually. So I only have to rent one. Or maybe you can just listen to the episode. But yeah. uh, I just rewatched To Live and Die in L.A. Yeah. Last night. Oh, can't wait to talk about it with you, brother. Okay. Oh, that's definitely got to be the closer. That will episode. be the closer, yes, because I've never seen we'll just, that. We'll keep flip-flopping. And I'm sure that it's, of the of the two, it's probably the, the better film. I just, listen, it's still wrapped in plastic for you, my friend. I have two more that are still wrapped in plastic that I'm going to bring you. Just Oh, okay. I thought you meant copies of this. No. Like you just keep them around to pass out to people. Yeah. It's one of my favorites. Here you go. I've signed every copy. <laughs> yeah. All right. Oh, geez. So, uh, until next time, again, uh, thank you to all of our listeners. Very excited to uh, be ringing in three years of doing this, and we look forward to the next one. Uh, until next time, I have been Noah. And I have been Gavin. And we've been the Blanchard Brothers. Thank until you all. Na- <laughs> we yes, appreciate thank it. Thank you all. Until next time, uh, stay safe, stay smart, and stay tuned.